can't relate to cancel culture, hookup culture, or victim culture? (laughs) Well, neither could we. We created this platform for those other girls. Girls like us who want to give a different perspective from a Christian and conservative worldview. We talk about life, work, relationships, and everything in between. Let's be those other girls that don't just talk about culture, but change culture and bring back traditional values. expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect our employers. Enjoy. I'm recording. Okay. Now I'm also recording and we might just put this talk on YouTube or Instagram. We'll figure it out. Um, so we have Bob Nee on right now and he's been on before to talk about um, CFAC, which is, uh, you, you still work for them? I do on it. I do. In my day job, yeah, but I do a lot of foreign policy and consulting stuff on the side, too. Yes, so we had him on for daytime Bob. Now we're about to have nighttime Bob on for his fun passions. Right, Um, it's Nick Nick at night now. Get ready. Yeah, Yeah, his other passion, uh, foreign policy. So honestly, when um, everything was going on with Cuba, my first thought was like, who can we get to talk about it? Because I was looking up stuff. Like I saw on social media, pray for Cuba. Cuba is having all this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like, this is what's going on. And we didn't do anything talking about Israel and Palestine. And I I wish we could have, but there was so much going on during that time. So I do want to be on top of these type of things. And um, I was like, I, and you know, I'm like trying to read more about it, but I honestly, it's just so much on both sides and it was just too jumbled. So I was like, well, I want someone to explain it to me. And the first person I thought of was Bob. And then I was like, you know what? If Bob can explain it to me, he can explain it to everyone else. And we can just talk a little bit about what's going on. And then maybe even we can end on like, what can we do? There's not much we can like physically do because that's unrealistic. Um, But I'm sure prayers or at least like calling some, I don't know. We'll talk about it at that time. Um, So I don't know how many people are watching, to be honest. I had to log off of the Facebook because it's delayed and it would really bother me. but if you're watching, I think I will get any notifications on my phone if you have a question or anything like that um, with Bob. Or if you um, have a question for about Cuba or anything like that, I should get a notification. If not, we can always do a follow-up of more of a deep dive because I just wanted this to be more of a conversation and just a little bit more casual. This, I doubt this will take more than like 20 minutes, but I don't know. We said that last time in our episode was right. like an hour and a half. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. So we're, we're, for, yeah, yeah, we did. We went really deep. And I told you, I had people reach out to me like, oh, wow, I showed my mom this and I thought this was a very good episode. So yeah, Bob knows his stuff. That was cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bob knows his stuff. Okay. So first, can you give us a little bit of history on Cuba about um, Fidel Castro? Because I think we all, like growing up, I remember talking about him in history, about how he was this evil man. People were getting on these boats to travel to the U.S., but I don't really remember too much about that. Sure. So, I mean, basically, you you know, just to qualify myself a little bit here, uh, oh, yeah, I have a master's cool. degree from, uh, I have a master's degree from international, from, in international affairs from the Institute of World Politics. It's right up the road here in D.C. Uh, I'm, I'm broadcasting out of my apartment here in, in D.C., uh, out of my office here, but, um, and so anyways, and my, my focus was on my 
master's degrees in statecraft and national security affairs specifically. And my concentration was Latin America. And a little, I, I focused on Northern Ireland a little bit too, as some of your more seasoned listeners will know. <laughs> but, uh, but no, but that's, uh, but that was a serious portion of my studies over there and, and focusing on how communist governments in the region tend to work. So if you look at, and, and uh, specifically like their security infrastructure and services over there. Uh, so if you look at the, um, if you look at the history of Cuba, Cuba really dates back to the, um, dates back to the 1890s. I mean, obviously it, it had been a slave plantation and it was a major plantation house in the Caribbean for sugar plantations and what have you. It, going back to the Spanish imperial days, um, as, as far back as the 1500s, um, and even well before that, but all of this sort of economic stuff had been going on where Cuba had been, Cuba had been very much a client state of the Spanish at that time. And it was really the beachhead for the Spaniards into the new world. That's one of the reasons why they are very culturally different than most of the, than most other Latin Americans out there. It's because they had a very, very, whereas most of Latin America had more sort of a native and indigenous population. They had a very, they had a much more European population than most of the other places. So, because that was the base of European operations in the region for the Spanish, for the Spanish armada and for the Spanish traders and economists and all of that type of stuff. Hmm. So their cultures developed a lot differently. Um, And so, you know, when you trace that back, then you can, again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in, talking in broad strokes here. So I apologize for that. And if anybody's got any questions, I'd be happy to answer them about some specifics, but you can basically trace that into the 1890s when in the aftermath of, in, in an attempt to rid the Western hemisphere, a la Monroe doctrine of Spanish influence and of European influence, Teddy Roosevelt helps incite a rebellion in Cuba where this group of people called the Mambisas who were tired of who were tired of fighting against the Spanish imperialists or who were tired of who were tired of the Spanish imperialists sought the aid of the U.S. and received a bunch of military aid from the U.S. And they were sort of a guerrilla force that rose up against them while U.S. conventionals came in and and gave support when necessary. But uh, the Cubans really won their freedom for themselves. As much as we might love Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders, uh, the Cubans really won their freedom by themselves. But in exchange for that, the U.S. helped set up a government in Cuba where they had a lot of um, where the U.S. had a lot of power, obviously, because they were the regional power. And they also put a lot of military into the island because in order to patrol the Caribbean and and all of Cuba has always been a very important economic power. So up until that point, um, that was the case. And Cuba went through a series of dictatorships um, that eventually led to the ouster of Fulgencio Batista who was a U.S. backed dictator uh, by the by the 22nd of July movement in the Castro's, which was led by the Castro brothers or the 26th of July movement. Pardon me. Um, So that was the sort of communist insurrectionists that were led by the Castro's and Che Guevara. Castro's came into power, established a communist regime with the cult of personality. that was not dissimilar to North Korea. Uh, it wasn't in a lot of ways, it wasn't as intense, but it was very much, it was very similar to them in terms of how much like, you know, the people will still chant today, the communists in Cuba. Well, there's 
There's not many of them left, apparently. But, uh, you know, they, the communists, when Fidel died, they were in the streets chanting, Fidel Gigante, Eterno Comandante. Fidel, the giant, our eternal commander. And, and oh, wow. people, were, people were pouring out into the streets and doing that. And that was always something that, you know, he definitely had a, a sort of personality cult around him. Raul had it a lot less so because when Raul, when Fidel came into power, Fidel, Raul became one of the point men for the Cuban intelligence services to the point where he was actually trained by the, sent to Europe and trained by the KGB and the Stasi. So he was a lot more quiet, but he was a lot more brutal. And so when he came in, in order to sort of quell things out, Cuba became very, very strict. And he put his son in charge of the intelligence service for a while um, and so, you know, Cuba's, Cuba's older apparatchiks of the party are 86, 90 some years old. They're all going to die in relatively short order. Us Cuba analysts, back when I was really, really doing this in grad school, you know, we were all saying like, these guys are all going to start to die. And when they all start to die, because in Cuba, they kept the same level of party infrastructure. Everybody stayed in. It's not like people retired so that young blood could come in. At the top, you still have guys that were fighting in the in the hills against the Castro brothers, and or with the Castro brothers against against the Batista regime. Um, which, by the way, that was chronicled in The Godfather. I don't know if you remember Godfather Two when. Never when, seen it, but people well, listening your like that. Have, it's a phenomenal <laughs> movie, but at the end, when Michael Corleone has to flee Cuba, um, that's that was occurring that was occurring during the Cuban revolution in the in the fictional plot of the film and it was meant to depict the fact that the American mafia were supporting the dictator um anyways so these guys were so old that and they still are so old that these guys are going to die soon and when they do it's going to happen rapidly and the question has always been whether or not the party infrastructure can handle that level of loss and so, and in so, some short period of time. For two seconds. Sure. So the other side, which would be, we'll just say the more freedom type people, they have not been able to even, are there elections in Cuba? I know that sounds so stupid, but are there elections I mean, in Cuba or elections I mean, in Cuba? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, okay, I mean, I mean if, there are elections in North Korea too. They just right, put one okay. person on the ballot. Right. Uh, <laughs> So they, uh, no, but it's, it's, it's a sham. It's a, you know, they, they have, I believe they elect to the communist or to the communist uh, Congress, but you know, they only hold those every five or six years. And it's a, it's a, no, it's not a, it's, it's just for paper to say, Oh, we yeah, did it's a, a rubber stamp. Okay. It's a rubber okay. stamp. And so the question was when you had, first of all, I, I would have lost a little money on this. I thought that it was going to be Raul's son that wound up taking over to preserve the, to preserve the cult of personality or whatever was left of it among the Castro brothers when Raul died. Um, but then Raul came out or when he stepped down um, shortly after that, he came out and said that he was going to retire and he was not going to, he was not going to die. The, the, he's still running the show effectively behind a little bit more behind the scenes, but the fall man is who's the current president is a guy named Miguel Diaz Canal. And he is a, uh, he's a, he's a party operatic and, you know, this is, this was to be expected. I mean, these people once it's, it, it, it's just, it's such a tinderbox, you know? Mm-hmm. 
did something specifically happen that they're marching now or like or is this just probably been brewing up and they just picked this day so the hospital system in cuba has basically collapsed under the coronavirus pandemic mm-hmm. uh there have been all sorts of other stuff that have happened um you know i mean the economy's in shambles it's terrible but at the end of the day the cubans are a lot smarter than people give them credit for, and specifically a lot of the leftists here in the United States who will say that it was just because of economic conditions, they recognize that, yeah, that some of those conditions might have been tells, but ultimately the root problem is the communist government that is oppressing their country and 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 shooting people in the streets and, and locking up dissidents and cartels are in prisons full of drug cartel members, then paying off drug cartel hitmen to kill off the political dissidents so they can then tell the international community that they've banned executions, but they still wind up murdering their rivals. Oh, and, and you know, they have different levels of intelligence services that persecute people all throughout the world, you know, and the Committee for State Security and all of these other, all these other, or the Committee for the Defense of the Revolution and you know, all these other horrible, horrible things that they do. This is this is the problem. As long as and as long as you don't treat that cancer, then this problem is just going to continue to it, it's going to continue to multiply. And and in a lot of the same ways that the Cuban people are obviously very sick of and very, you know, they're 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 done with this. I mean, they want their freedom. Mm-hmm. You know. What are some ways that um, the communist socialism type healthcare system has failed them with COVID? Well, I mean, it's just any other government system. It is so bloated. It, it focuses. It's so unbelievably corrupt. It focuses on, you know, basically the major cities in Cuba. It leaves it leaves the people completely out of it. There's there's three different layers of healthcare system that they only oh, grant. Wow. Or, yeah, no, that the party apparatchiks and the elites get one, and then middle management get the other, and everybody else is in the is in the bottom of the system. It's 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 a horrible, corrupt system, but. Um, no, and and then you know they've they've had medical supplies. They routinely run out of of basic level drugs that we could get at a CVS in the United States. Not even like the hard stuff, like I don't know Percocet or some other type of thing that would be hard to come across in the U.S. They they run out of like penicillin oh, over wow. there and like Advil and stuff like that. There's a reason that the Venezuelans who are going through something very similar, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, when they were going out. When the when the things were really going across going down, I'm I'm somewhat active in the local Venezuelan community here in DC, and um, in the expat communities, the guys that are wanting to go home and and send send supplies home to help their country out, um, but they were asking for like when it was really going down over there, they were asking for baby formula, they were asking for and and oh, it's the same so problem in Cuba, they were asking for you know like I said Advil. You know, the, this is the level of, of the system cannot provide that. They can't provide 90% of the drugs that you buy at a CVS pharmacy. That's crazy. You know, and this yeah. is one that is routinely ravaged by hurricanes. It is routinely any sort of like whenever a hurricane happens in Cuba, they start freaking out because one, they don't have a FEMA type system that can effectively deal with emergency management because again, of all of the corruption and how poor the island is because of the communist system that they have. But even even if there was any sort of infrastructure problem, which is going to happen, they know it because the government is too communist and corrupt to deal with it effectively, that 
all of these medical supplies that they're barely able to get in the first place are gone. So every time, even like a little category three hurricane or something, something somewhat small that would be still horribly damaging to, I mean, you grew up in the South, you know, um, how horribly damaging to our country would be devastating to them. And so, you know, I mean, there are people, people can't get like dialysis, like kidney dialysis, basic stuff that you would, that's, that is life essential. They can't provide it. So the system has so failed that the people are just done. Yeah. And I can't blame them. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised, like hearing all of this um, and hearing, I guess, more personal stories, because like I said, like, I feel like we talked about it in school and I did go to a more right leaning school. So I'll admit that. But I feel like we talked about it in school, how Cuba is, um, they have all these issues, but I think hearing more personal stories, something as simple as like baby formula and Advil kind of makes it seem so much more real. And it also, also, it makes you grateful too, for where we live. I mean, U.S. is definitely the greatest country in the world. You know who the most patriotic Americans are in a lot of ways, the Cubans. Yeah. And the Venezuelans, because they know they built these people. This system has failed them so badly that they build boats out of trash and sail and sail them through shark infested hurricane waters to avoid it. That's how bad it is. Yeah. People aren't doing that at scale because of some intelligence operation. Like the Cuban government says anything that disagrees with them is CIA or DEA or any of the other, you know, that's propaganda that, that maybe one or two people could be convinced by propaganda like that. But at the scale that that's happened, there's just no way. This this system is so broken down there. And it's not because of the sanctions. They'll say that it's because of the sanctions. It's not because of the sanctions. Virtually every other country in the world, other than the United States, trades with Cuba. as So Russia does, China does, most of mainland Europe does, oh, pretty much all of Africa does. A lot of the left-leaning countries in South America do. Mexico has, I think, for a little while. You know, these... if. That's not the issue. It's not the blockade. It's not any of that. Well, it's not even a blockade. I mean, the reason that they use blockade is because blockade is a military term. Um, Now, what is a blockade? A blockade is basically using military assets to deny supplies to people in a country, um, using naval assets specifically surrounding them. Cuba calls our sanctions blockades. Oh, okay. to try to trigger the international community who they okay. know is somewhat more on their side because the UN and what have you tend to be more left-leaning organizations. Mm-hmm. They are more sympathetic to the Cuban communist party's plight. They use blockade to trigger that. So that way they can, they can convince people that it was an act of war by the U S in reality. It's, it absolutely was not. Um, anyway, it was, you know, most of the world trades with Cuba. Canada trades with Cuba. Canada sends tourists to Cuba all the time. There's Canadian, I mean, there. I believe, if I remember correctly, there were even Canadian-Cuban medical relations where the Cubans sent doctors up there for a bit. Oh, wow. There were, I mean, so they don't even need us. No, they don't need us, and they're <laughs> still failing. Yeah, wow. Blame it on our economic embargo. So the people who are rebelling and waving the American flag and all that, are they our generation or a little bit older or is it mixed? 
So there's there it's 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 a it's a hodgepodge of people. Okay, that's um, good. Are, there it's real. It is really something cool to see the, our generation. You know the the in the mid '80s and what have you. There were there were networks there that were trying to that were trying to supplant. And a lot of those old old heads are still kind of flipping <laughs> around and you know making their making their efforts known. And uh, they just arrested a few of those guys recently, um, but. Um, there are a lot of younger podcasters and Apple or not Apple uh, YouTubers and what have you that are, there was one, actually, I can send you the video. You can put it in your tagline that was literally arrested while she was being interviewed in an interview, just like this one. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Cuban and the Cuban state security services came in and basically dragged her out of her house. It was, it was horrific. Okay. Yeah. Send me that. That's, I'll, that is wild. Um, yeah. But it also speaks to a level of the of of how of how immune they know that they are to being held accountable for their actions. The regime is, and that's why we need strength from the United States because the fact that they could go in on an interview with the with a news station in Spain that is doing that, and in broad daylight walk out and drag a journalist out by her hair. They also did this when Obama went to liberate them in ESPN, or what not went to liberate them, but. L- liberalized, I should say, the trade relations with Cuba. And he went to the baseball game and there were Cuban dissidents that were out there protesting. All they were doing was holding signs. And in the background, you see the state police come in and they're dragging them out into into prisons, basically, where they'll probably spend the rest of their relatively short lives. This is a country that doesn't, that is not used to, but that is not used to the international world holding it accountable. And when the U.S. is weak, and when the U.S. does not stand with the Cuban people, then that then they feel like they can get away with something like that. So that's going to be my next question. What do you think is the proper conservative or your own personal, even if it's not very conservative, response to this situation from the U.S.? Actually, wait, sorry, back up. What is the governmental response and then what is the moral response? Okay, so I think, first of all, the moral response is to understand that, like Pope John Paul said, communism is one of the greatest evils, is the greatest evil, I believe, in the history of the world. It's mortal sin, and we need to be, we are called as Catholics to fight against it in every stripe, in every way, no matter, no matter what, that is our number one adversary. And, and I mean, there's a reason why, there's a reason why the Catholic priests believed that that was the case. Um I would say that that's a that's a moral thing. So whether that's that that translates to a lot of tangible things, go out to your Cuban restaurants, go to your Venezuelan restaurants, go to go to your local businesses that are owned by those guys, because half of that money is going home to support those to support their people back there. Uh, It's the same reason why, you know, I frequent sometimes Irish restaurants. You know, I mean, it's not like Ireland's under a communist occupation, but, you know, it's (laughs) like, all right, I'll send I know that they're going to send the money home to go help out their families and stuff. And that as an Irish person, I like that, Um, you know, but um, no, go support them, go give their businesses help, give their businesses some aid, their people back home need it. And every one of them is, is sending money back home. Um, Obviously keep amplifying their voices, keep, keep retweeting it, Um, you know, sharing everything that you can on social media educate yourself about the history of it, educate yourself so that you can go tell people about it and, and tell their story to the world because they need a lot of help. 
they need a lot of help. And we're one of the only countries out there. If, if there's enough of a public momentum behind it, we're the only country out there with the inertia, the power and the moral vision to stand up for them. And so that's true. Yeah. I like that. There's a few things though, that we can do on a much more tangible level. So I would say number one, there's, this seems obscure. This is, this is really one, two, and three. There was an executive order that was signed during the Clinton administration. It's called Executive Order 6867. Remember that, write that, write that down. down. 6867. It occurred after a U.S. plane containing aid workers that were supposed to be going over to help the Cuban people was shot down in international airspace. Um, and a U.S. boat was shot at by the Cuban Navy in a separate and unrelated incident because they weren't coordinating with each other. But um, they were they they were going to help Cubans, I believe, as well. They entered Cuban uh, Navy. They entered Cuban waters and the Cuban Navy shot at them. President Clinton in executive order 6867 then said what he did was he declared a state of emergency, which forbade any U.S. vessel from entering into Cuban water without the U.S. air without the support of the Cuban government. So no U.S. flag vessel can enter there. So as a result, that creates a lot of problems, right? Um, Biden will not allow for that to happen. So, and, you know, in fairness, Trump kept this order going, which he shouldn't have done. That's a criticism of mine personally, that I think he should have rescinded this, but Bush didn't rescind it. Obama didn't rescind it. And so far, Biden hasn't rescinded, rescinded it. We need that to be rescinded. Because what that will allow is for a Dunkirk style aid package to be delivered to the Cubans. Not necessarily, not in terms of guns, not in terms of anything like that, just in terms of food and medicine. Okay, I was going to ask. And the Cuban Cuban people will not allow for their, their, there's, the regime has lost too much support. The Cuban people will not allow for that regime, for that to be turned back, to be turned away or anything, they would, they would revolt. I mean, they're already turning over and, and lighting police cars on fire without this, right? Mm. If they see aid coming into their country that they can then, you know, that they can use to feed their families and to give the basic medical supplies that they know they need. This is the great white fleet all over again, potentially, you know, that saved the Russian people from the, from the potato famine. Now, you know, Unfortunately, Russia's stayed communist longer than we would have liked, but that wasn't the point of the Great White Fleet anyway. So, um, you know, they were just delivering food. Um, and anyways, but that's that would be one thing. Uh, again, it's this is all a pressure campaign, right? So I would yeah. say another thing that we would need to do is we need to have, we need to call on Twitter, and I'll do this publicly here, to immediately suspend regime thugs who promote violence against protesters. If... If we're going to use Twitter's argument, right, for banning President Trump, which is that he incited his supporters to violence, let's let's assume that that's I, maybe we agree with that or maybe we don't. But those are the rules of the road, right? Mm-hmm. Cubans are not allowed to have social media. A lot of them do, but they're not allowed to have it unless they're Communist Party officials and they're members of the regime and all of that. 
So the only people that could conceivably be on Twitter, according to Cuban law, are Cuban Communist Party supporters. So any tweet that he could potentially, that the Cuban government could potentially be sending out right now to go out and basically suppress and, and spread disinformation that is oftentimes linked to a supporting the aspirations of a client state of Russia. So it's Russian disinformation in a lot of ways and Chinese disinformation and inciting their supporters to commit acts of violence on behalf of the regime that is illegitimate. Using that argument, that's, I mean, that's the same argument Twitter made to ban Trump. Yeah. Wow. Agree with the ban. That's the same argument that they made to ban Trump. And for them to be consistent. For them to be consistent, they would have to ban anybody involved in the Cuban Communist Party, effectively. I I hope that they are. I am not going to hold my breath on that. Secondly, (laughs) I would say the U.S. Wait, really quick, before you go to the second thing, I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. Are NGOs allowed to go in or just nobody... No U.S. flagged vessel can enter Cuban waters without the permission of the Cuban government. Wow. Period. So two, U.S. officials have to work with satellite companies. This is these were some ideas I saw on Twitter, by the way, from a guy named Giancarlo Sopo. He's a Latin American media strategist and he's absolutely worth a follow. He is 100 percent the credit for a few of these ideas. Um they need to work with satellites to satellite companies to beam information into Cuba. We've already done that to a large extent with something called Radio Marti, which is which everybody also should support. Um, that's another that's a great information group that it's they basically provide information to the Cuban people and they figure out how to get news to. It's kind of like the Daily NK for those of you who are interested in North Korean politics, right? It's it's. It's a new service that goes into Cuba and provides information to Cuban people about what's going on in the outside world and breaks the regime's stranglehold on information. But it also, importantly, allows for the Cuban people to get information about what's going on out so and to other Cubans in on the island. So it, it allows for a free flow of information, which is really important in the regime. That's the biggest threat to the regime. If they start talking about this type of stuff and people start knowing about the horrible oppressions that are going on both in Cuba and in Venezuela, then, you know, then that is the death knell for them. And then the third one is that I think the United States State Department, along with all other providers of these services, right, that are both corporate and NGO and governmental officials should be working with Cuban dissident networks to provide for their easy access to um virtual private networks. So it's not only that, but we also can have access to, um, they can also, they can gar- they can garner access to VPNs and that would allow for them to be able to bypass the state department or the, um, the state parties clamp on their, on their information. So that's, that would be the state department. That would be various intelligence community agencies. That would be the de- the Department of the Navy, which does a lot of computer research, as well as the Air Force, Space Force, any of those U.S. government organizations should absolutely be involved in that. And then I would say another thing is if their Wi-Fi truly is down, I think that we can we can effectively figure out how to ameliorate that, both with the satellite companies that Giancarlo, the idea he was up with earlier, uh, but 
also just if if nothing else if all else fails we need to use the US government to provide to provide access to information for them oh okay so you think the government should help them even down to that extent yes but ultimately ultimately it's going to come down to the citizens so we would ultimately need the most important part i would argue is that we would need to have that executive order repealed so that we could have a dunkirk style yeah. aid package delivered I, yeah i definitely because so, if you've ever i'm sorry no, if you've ever met a cuban person you know that they would be like we're gonna get the boats let's go where do we need like they love cuba and they they hate the communist party but they're absolutely willing to provide every lick of support that they can to help their countrymen out in under their face of oppression yeah and I and I don't um, I, I I don't think for a second that they would have a problem with coming up with providing food aid and, and all of that medical aid and all of the type of stuff that they would need. I would say that we probably should obviously as a, as a conservative libertarian, we should look towards providing things through non-government organizations and stuff. But there is a role for the government. And if necessary, the government should be the ones that come in if private organizations either aren't doing it or aren't doing it effectively enough then the government should come in and be able to provide aid yeah yeah i i definitely think knowing that with more context knowing that they need aid because yesterday when i was discussing with my brother i was like i don't know we should get involved but now with more context and especially knowing that they need aid i definitely think if anything we could help with food and supplies absolutely and so what we should be doing, and I've already done this personally, is we should be getting out our phones and contacting all of our congressmen, Democrats and Republicans, because the Democrats, again, as much as we as both as conservatives might not love it, the Democrats are the ones in power right now. Yeah. And so and, and the reality is, Mel, I know you and I both met and were friends because of our friendship in New Jersey. Senator Bob Menendez is a big, big, big player here. So if anybody in your audience has connections or in your friend groups have connections with him, hit him hard because he's one of the big Cuba guys in the house. So is my congressman, by the way, Raul Ruiz, who, you know, he's 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 a great man and I'm sure he'll do the right thing on this. Um, So we're. You know, just every single person that's out there, get out there and start telling them to get the Biden administration to undo that executive order, because executive orders aren't going to come from Congress. I guess the Republicans could just refuse to acknowledge it in the House or something. And I think that would provide some legal aid to it. But ultimately, it would be Biden himself that would have to do that. And that's going to have to come from within the Democratic Party. So that's that's going to take and from social media, people like yourself who are who are maybe not nonpartisan, non-affiliated with the political parties and all of that type of stuff. It's it, and, and conservatives as well. We all have got to provide pressure to get all of those things done, but most importantly, the executive order, because as conservatives, we can agree that the, Repu- that the government shouldn't be the one that's leading the charge always. And I think that in this instance, we can effectively deal with it from a non-governmental perspective mm-hmm. with the government's aid when necessary. Yeah. I, that's perfect. And that's honestly a great place to end. Um, I think next week or in two weeks when we have a little bit more information about what's going on, we could really do a deep dive. Mm -hmm. And I think it would also be good to just talk about what is communism, because I think we hear that all the time. We hear socialism, we hear all these words, but I think it would be really good to just do a deep dive into all that. But this was really good. 
Um, definitely, you've opened my eyes to some stuff. Um, so really appreciate that, Bob. Um, everybody, I am going to go ahead and end the live. All right. Um, Thanks for having me on, Mel. Yes, thank you so much um, for coming on, Bob. And okay, and then okay, so I ended the live, and then now I'm going to end the recording. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Those Other Girls with Mallory and Bailey. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Head over to our website, thoseothergirls.com, to read our blogs and receive exclusive content. And connect with us on Instagram at Those Other Girls Podcast and on Twitter at TOG underscore podcast. Those are the girls changing culture and bringing back traditional values.